0: Turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. And in verse thirty then, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, the things that we do I, I think sometimes people's conception of God is that the things we do don't really don't really matter to God. I think a lot of people, uh, even many Christians, sort of have the view that, well, God's way up there somewhere, and, and we're down here, and, you know, yeah, God wants us to do good things and that, but it doesn't really matter that much to God. But you see, this verse presents something different than that. It says that, that when we fail to do these things, when we fail to manifest that new man in our lives, and instead we manifest the old man, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. You see, God cares what we do, it's not just—he's not just indifferent to the things that go on in our lives and the things that we do. God cares about it, right? Now, that's a as far as as far as different systems of belief go, that's a pretty rare thing. You know, there's many uh, false religions where their gods don't really care one way or the other what they do. I mean, you think about the uh, you know the the ancient the ancient Greek. Uh, religion with their pantheon of gods uh, you don't really see zeus having that much care about what what people are doing in their lives right i mean zeus was more worried about womanizing and and all those kinds of things than anything that that just regular people would be doing um, in fact in many of those kinds of religions those, those gods don't even really care whether somebody believes in them or not right and yet here are our, our god the true god the god of the Bible cares what we do and maybe nobody else cares what you do maybe you don't care what you do but God cares what you do and that just shows the the special place that the believer has in the plan and purpose of God God who created the universe God who who created everything who um, is you know is omnipresent and all-powerful and all-knowing and all these things he cares what you and I do and what we do can please God or it can grieve God now understand that these things are addressed to believers understand that there is nothing you can do as a as a lost person if you're a lost person here today if you have never trusted what what Christ did for you in his death burial and resurrection if you are trying through religion and works to somehow please God without having trusted in Christ that's a that's a a futile exercise you can't do it, because even your best effort is going to fall far short of what God's righteousness and justice requires. But for someone who is saved, once you've trusted Christ, you see, God has, has equipped you now and continues to equip you as, you as you study His Word and that Word works in you. He's given you His Holy Spirit, so that now you can do some things that are pleasing to God. And when, when uh, we, instead of putting off that old man, when we choose to put on that, that old man... Um, it grieves God's Holy Spirit. Now, understand what what the the attitude is there. You see, it doesn't say that it angers God's Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that God responds to that you know that uh, manifestation of the old man in our life. He doesn't respond to it with anger or those, those kinds of things. It says it grieves Him. You know th- that word grief is the the same word. Uh, if you go over to to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, just put a mark there in Ephesians 4 and go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, that same Greek word that's translated as grieve, there is the same word that's translated as sorrow, regret, you know, it has that, that kind of idea. Here in 1 in Thessalonians chapter 4, in uh, verse 13, when it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. The word sorrow there, which here in 1 Thessalonians 4 is talking about the kind of sorrow that you have when a a loved one dies. uh, That's the same kind of grief that's caused to the Holy Spirit when we fail to to act in accordance with who we are in Christ. Just like you would grieve for a a loved one who dies. That's that's the emotion, that's the reaction of the Holy Spirit to, to us acting like the old man instead of the new man. All right? and, and that's an important thing, because realize that when, when you put your faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. All of your sins, not only that you committed prior to, to coming to faith in Christ, but you're already forgiven in advance for all the ones you haven't even committed yet. You have absolute, complete forgiveness in Christ, because Christ already paid for all of those sins. And so the issue here in grieving the Holy Spirit, it's not an issue of the justice of God. The justice of God is satisfied with the blood of Christ. We'll see that a little bit more later. But but you see that the Holy Spirit is grieved with those things. Not not angry, not full of wrath and seeking vengeance and and just waiting to, to crush you when you sin. But instead, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And so it grieves the Holy Spirit in the same way that when a, when a parent sees a rebellious child and that child won't obey and won't, won't uh, you know, learn to, to do the right things, and it can be a grievous thing, right? That's, that's the same attitude that God has toward, toward uh, us acting like that old man. And so what Paul says after giving all these, these practical instructions, he says, don't, don't do that, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now you see again that God cares what you do. It, it, can, it can grieve Him. It can please Him. There's, there's other verses that talk about things that are pleasing to the Lord when we do those things. But uh, here he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And understand that, that the Holy Spirit of God, it, it says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And this does away with this idea that God is, is just way out there somewhere and, and we're down here. Because... If you, again, hold hold your place here in Ephesians 4 and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when when you believed the gospel, God placed His Holy Spirit within you. Right? So God isn't out there somewhere. God has, has placed the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, actually within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says what? Know ye not? that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, the world has kind of co-opted this phrase of talking about the body being a temple. And you'll hear people that, that uh, you know place a lot of emphasis on physical fitness and that kind of thing. They'll say, the body's a temple, right? And they'll use that phrase. But they miss the entire meaning of what the verse is talking about. Because most of the people that talk about their body being a temple, if their body's a temple, it's not a temple of the Holy Ghost. all right? Most people's body is a, a, a temple to their own self and their own will. But here it says that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, in the Old Testament... There was a temple that if you wanted to to go where the presence of God was, you had to go to that temple. And so they would even, you know, even if you were far removed geographically from that temple, if you were thousands of miles away, when you would pray to God, you would turn and face toward Jerusalem, where the temple was, because that's where the presence of God was. And for, for the people of Israel, there were specific times in the year where all the men were commanded to go there to Jerusalem, where the temple was, and to celebrate various feast days and things. But you see, in Christ, we have something even better than that, because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We don't have to turn and face Jer- Jerusalem when we pray. We don't have to go there to be in the presence of God. God dwells within you. Now, if that doesn't cause you to, to think about the things that you do with your body, right? There, you know, a lot of people have the mistaken idea that a, that a church building is like the temple of God. And they think that, you know, well, there's, there's certain things that it may be okay for you to do out there, but when you come in a church, you better, you better not do those things, right? And that's, that's completely the wrong attitude to have. Um, it, the, this building is just a building, right? If, if there's a temple of God where the presence of God is, where you better be careful, you ought to be careful about what your actions are and what your words are, it's in that body that you go around in all the time. Right, So you ought to have the same care for your actions and, and attitudes and, and speech and things when you're here in this building as you have out there because you're as much the temple of God when you're here as you are there. This is not the temple of God. This is not the house of God. You are. You are the temple of God if you've trusted on Christ and if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And, you know, you think about some of the things that we do in our flesh and when you consider that this body is the temple of God, how, you know, how often are we guilty, really, of profaning the temple of God? Right? When, when we fail to put off that old man, and instead we walk in that old man, essentially that's what we're doing. We're profaning the temple of God. We're taking something that's holy and set apart unto God, and we're treating it as something common, something profane. Right? And so Paul, here, here as Paul reminds them that they are the temple of the Holy Ghost, he also reminds them that you're not your own. You're not your own. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. We, we often, in our, our pride, uh, go around with the attitude that you know I own myself and, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. But you don't own yourself. In fact, even the unbeliever doesn't doesn't own himself. He may think he does. But you, especially as a believer, you understand you don't own yourself. You're bought with a price. There was a high price paid for you. And you don't own yourself. And since you don't own yourself, since someone else owns you, you have a responsibility uh, to to fulfill the will of, of the one that rightfully owns you, that purchased you. And it says you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's the outward action. And in your spirit, which would be your inward attitudes and things, which are God's. And so, if we go back to our to our text and go back to Ephesians four, now Paul here in this passage refers to the the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Spirit, as having sealed us. And this is an important thing for you to understand. Now, a seal has several purposes, and the kind of seal that he's referring to is. Um, to you know, it doesn't. You don't see this as much today, but when you go when you go back uh, hundreds of years, seals were used for various purposes. And if you were going to send a letter to somebody, you know they didn't have the the adhesive envelopes that we have. Uh, but you would take and you would take that letter and put some wax on it. And often, especially if you were an important person, you would have a, a ring or some kind of a stamp that would have a, some symbol on it that people knew belonged to you. And you would stamp that in that, that melted wax and you would send your, send your letter. Now that seal had some important purposes. For one thing, the seal was a means of identification. Right? Like I said, that stamp or that ring would have a symbol that could be used to identify the person. Uh, A lot of times we, you know, historians would associate this with, especially with royalty, would do this kind of thing. In the same way, the Holy Spirit that has sealed you identifies you. The seal that God places upon you when you believe the gospel, the seal of that Holy Spirit identifies who you belong to. And so uh, it has that purpose of identification. Now, a seal also had the purpose of authentication, okay, because if if uh, somebody claimed that something, you know, a letter or something came from a certain person, but the seal didn't match, you knew it wasn't authentic, all right? Uh, by the way, God, God has often used um, different types of seals and, and tokens to identify certain people. Uh, you remember that, that Cain when, when Cain killed Abel, and Cain, um, you know, after, after God spoke to him and confronted him about that sin, Cain, God, God cursed him to be a, a vagabond in the earth. And Cain was worried that other people were going to take vengeance. And what did God do? He set a mark upon Cain that would identify and, and also be a, be a form of protection upon Cain so that people wouldn't come and, and kill him. And God has often used these seals and marks. In the book of Revelation, you have the 144,000 that are sealed with the the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, if you were in the Old Testament and you wanted to prove that you were a part of the people of God, there was a seal that God gave to beginning with Abraham and his descendants that authenticated them as being the, the people of God. And with them, it was the seal of circumcision. And, and that's referred to uh, many times as a seal. Now, circumcision, remember, it, it was given to Abraham. The Lord told Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise the, the men in his household. Um, he circumcised uh, uh, Ishmael. And then after Isaac was born, Isaac was circumcised. And that was the seal. And that was a very important thing because God told them that if they did not place that seal upon their male children, that they would not be counted. He said they would be cut off from among the people. They would be considered not a part of the people of God. Um, this, this issue of circumcision, of course, became a, a, a contentious issue when you get into the New Testament and especially Paul's epistles because Paul, you see, Paul is not putting the emphasis upon circumcision as the seal that authenticates you as a part of the people of God. He says the seal is the Holy Spirit. Now that's a very different kind of seal because uh, circumcision was something that you know if somebody wanted to press the issue they could, you could check that right I mean it would be an outward sign. Remember when when Paul took Timothy with him into the the uh, temple there was some question about whether Timothy was circumcised or uncircumcised because Timothy's mother was a Jew his father was not and um, Paul they, they assumed that. Paul had taken Timothy with him into the temple and that was forbidden for someone uncircumcised to enter that temple and there was a big uproar about it. Now Paul eventually did get Timothy circumcised just to kind of do away with that controversy. But uh, remember, especially in the book of Galatians, this issue issue of circumcision came up because Paul would come into a, a town or he would come into a region like Galatia and he would tell them, you're saved by grace through faith alone in the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone and you can have the free gift of eternal life. He would then go on to tell them how the law was done away in Christ, and they were not under the, the, those ordinances of the law. But as soon as Paul would leave town, some other people would come in, and they would say, oh, it's great that you've believed on Christ. Now, here's all these ceremonies you have to perform. And the first one is you need to get circumcised. And they had Scripture to back it up. Right I mean it was an example of of somebody being scriptural, but because they didn 't understand that the change in what had taken place they weren't they weren 't accurately accurately uh, telling people what the will of God was, and so they could point to scripture that said that the people of God needed to be circumcised right and and there were many of these saints that were were uh, being confused by that, and even going and getting circumcised, and so in the book of Galatia, Galatians, Paul writes to them, and he writes very harshly and sternly to them, saying that that if they do that, if they go back to those things of the law, that he says the, the grace of God has become of no effect, right? And so the seal is not circumcision, and the seal today isn't even baptism, right? I mean, some some people like to think that water baptism is the kind of the New Testament equivalent of Of uh, circumcision. And water baptism isn't the seal either. You see what it is. It's the Holy Spirit himself that is the seal. Now, again, that's a very different kind of seal than something like circumcision because I can't see whether you have the Holy Spirit and you can't see whether I have the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't see some some aura around somebody or, or something like that that indicates that they have the Holy Spirit. And so this seal that we have that authenticates us as the people of God. It's not something that tells other people who the people of God are, who the believers are, but it's a seal nonetheless. It's the seal that God has placed upon the believer. And uh, the Scripture says that the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. You and I may not know, you know, the and, and and by the way, the you know, the best indicator that you have of whether somebody is a believer or not, it's it's not the works that they do, although certainly believers ought to have those works. In fact, that verse I just quoted goes on to say, Let all those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Right? But that's not the best indicator because you can have lost people who do very good things, right? And and yet they're just as lost. They they fall just as far short because they haven't Trusted Christ. Uh, the best indicator you have is if somebody can give you a clear, you know, a clear testimony of what they believe—that that they don't trust in themselves, or trust in religion, or trust in good works, but they trust in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's that's the best outward indicator you would have. And and be careful about assuming that somebody is really a Christian just because they go to church or just because they talk about the Bible or, or just because they do some of those outward things that may seem to give that indication. Because, again, a lost person can do those things right along with the saved person. But the seal is, is this Holy Spirit. And so the seal has a, a purpose of authentication. Now, it also uh, has a, a purpose of security. All right? Um, one of the, the places in the Bible where it mentions a seal was, uh, if you remember, the, the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ was, was crucified and they laid his body in that tomb, the, the rumors were going around that, that he was going to raise from the dead. And of course, what the authorities figured was going to happen was that his disciples would come and steal the body and claim that he had raised from the dead. And so they sealed the tomb. They, they, put, you know, they put that stone in front of the door and probably put some kind of a seal there on the, you know, on the tomb itself, whether it was with wax or, or something else. Because part of that seal, like even if you would send a letter and put that that seal on it, now it identified and authenticated it. But also, when the letter got to its destination, you could tell whether the seal had been broken or not, right? And so the the and and if the seal had been broken especially if if it was a letter from a king or someone like that it could possibly even mean the death of the messenger because he that thing was committed to him and and his job is to keep it safe and it's to get to the destination with the seal intact now with the tomb there they sealed the tomb so that you could tell if anybody had come in or out right and it it wasn't it wasn't because they thought Christ was going to rise from the dead and they wanted to keep him in it was because they thought his disciples were going to come and and take him out and so placing that seal there was something to to secure that tomb uh you know often with with uh, customs and and different things they will seal like these these shipping containers and different things once they've been inspected they'll seal it to make sure nobody puts anything else in after the the inspection's been done or, or takes anything out until it gets to the destination and so our our security the fact that we've been sealed with the holy spirit of god is something that makes us absolutely secure in christ. That is not a seal that that even you could break if you wanted to. Right? Some people have this idea that, you know, they'll say, well, you know, somebody can't can't lose their salvation but they could willingly give it up if they wanted to. But you see, you couldn't break that seal. That that, that seal that's been placed on you which is really the Holy Spirit, a person of the Godhead Himself, that's been placed upon you. You couldn't break that even if you want to. You are so secure in Christ because of the seal that's been placed upon you. And you see that that seal uh, here in in verse thirty, Ephesians four, verse thirty. It says, "You are sealed unto the day of redemption." Just like that. Shipping container is sealed until it gets to that destination. Just like that letter that is sealed with the, the signet of the king is secure until it gets to its destination. You and I are sealed. Not. It doesn't say forever. It doesn't say eternally. It says we're sealed until a specific day, the day of redemption. Now, this day of redemption, uh, you know, re- redemption has to do with a, a, a purchase that you're purchasing Something, And you might wonder, well, you know, this is talking about the day of redemption as a future day. Aren't we already redeemed? Right? I mean, aren't, aren't we already redeemed? Doesn't, um, uh, for instance, if you go to, go to Romans chapter 3, uh, to be justified in verse 24, it says, "...being justified, declared righteous, freely, by God's grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." And to redeem something is to purchase it by paying a price. There again is that price that the Lord paid for you. That Christ in the shedding of His blood, His blood really was the price that was paid. And that redemption in verse 24 is talking about that price that was paid to purchase us. Now, have we already been redeemed? The answer is yes. If you believed in Christ, that that payment, you understand that payment that Christ made was sufficient for all. He made the payment, the the Scripture says over and over and over again, that Christ died for all. He died for all. But you see, the payment's only imputed. It's only uh, put to your account when you believe. So the payment was sufficient for all, but it's only applied to those that believe. And those who have believed have been redeemed. So you've been redeemed in the sense that this passage is talking about. But the day of redemption, which is yet future, is a, another kind of redemption. And uh, the, the scripture talks about a future redemption that is a redemption of our bodies. Go to um, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 uh, says, For I reckon... That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That was verse 18. Verse 19 it says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And it goes on to talk about how the, the creation was put into bondage. And verse 22 says that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, you've been redeemed in the sense that the, the payment's been made. You've been purchased right? But your body, this body, there was no change in your body when you believed the gospel, right? I mean, it was the same, same corrupt flesh that it was before. But there's going to come a day where you're not just redeemed spiritually, but your very body is redeemed. And you receive a new body, a body that is a glorified body that'll be equipped to serve God in eternity. And that's the redemption it's, it's talking about there. Now, when you get to that point, when you get to that day of redemption and your body is redeemed and you have that new body and you no longer have that, that old man, you no longer have that old nature at all, you don't need to be sealed anymore because you'll be perfect and, and righteous and perfectly sanctified and, and glorified. You, don't need, you won't need that thing to authenticate you because it says you'll be manifested as the sons of God. That thing that we can't see visibly right now, who the believers are and who they aren't, it'll be visibly obvious then. And, and so that, that uh, identification and authentication and those things that the seal provides, that security that the seal provides, when you get to the day of redemption, you don't need that anymore. All, all, that, is made, all that is made obvious. And you'll have that, that glorified body, right? And so that's the destination. That's the place where the seal can be removed, so to speak, and, and the, you know, the content of what's being sealed can come out. And so that's the day that we look for. And what this passage here in Romans 8 tells us, you know, we go through all kinds of, of sufferings in this life. And, and you and I, as much as we groan and complain, the kinds of sufferings we go through are pretty minimal. But it says they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. In another place, the scripture refers to these present sufferings as our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And it says, it worketh for us a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. And so that's the day that we look for, that day, the the redemption of our body. Until that day, this this battle that Paul describes about the old man and the new man, and putting off the old man and putting on the new man, that's that's the struggle we're involved in. And you see, uh, again, let's just finish up with our, our text where we started there in Ephesians 4. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit that dwells in you, that your body is its temple, that Holy Spirit that seals you, that Holy Spirit that identifies you and authenticates you and, and protects you, keeps you secure until that day. Paul says, don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, instead, do these things he's talking about here. Put off the old man. Put off lying. Put off corrupt communication. Put off um, theft and, and all those things. And instead, put on that new man and manifest who you really are in Christ. God went to great effort to purchase you and to, really to, to work in you in such a way that you could your life could glorify Him. God went to great effort. And our job is to follow what these verses say, say to put on that new man so that, that pe- people can't see the seal of the Holy Spirit. But what people can see is people can see you manifesting who Christ is in your life and, and see Christ in you. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.